Hello, CTSNet friends. My name's Joel Dunning with a roundup of all the news in the world of cardiothoracic surgery. And on CTSNet this week, we've got the first write-up of a robotic lung transplant. European guidelines have now come out for the management of GGOs. Uh, we have a third paper all about infective, infective endocarditis in transcatheter pulmonary valve replacements. Um, we have three great videos for you this week as well. We've got a brilliant step-by-step -step guide on a redo ROS procedure. Really interesting. Uh, we also have a pulmonary valve replacement after a switch uh, and a really fascinating video from Adam Hansen all about costal bridging cartilages. Uh, we have some uh, events going on. We have an honourable mention, so there's lots going on. So stay tuned. Uh, have a look at the full podcast and check out the CTSnet website. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Joel Dunning with another episode of the CTSnet Beat podcast. Thank you so much for coming uh, every week to listen to us. We've now been doing this for over half a year. Uh, we do it every single week to try and bring you all the greatest news in the world of cardiac, thoracic, pediatrics and transplant surgery. And you can find lots, lots more on the CTSnet website, so check it out. Uh, so we've got three great papers for you and three nice videos. The first paper I just couldn't avoid but choose this. It is the robotic assisted lung transplantation first in man. Um, this is uh, first author and surgeon Dominic Emerson uh, and it's also Pedro Caterino, Ronaldo Campola, Joe Chiqui and Dominic Megna. Um, they're all at the Cedars-Sinai Medical Centre and they did this incredible accomplishment. So congratulations to all of them. Uh, this is out in the Journal of Heart Lung Transplantation this month and I actually love reading a uh, case report every now and again. It's really rare that case reports are literally sort of practice changing, super, super important. And so it is really nice to see this uh, as a case report in such an impressive journal. Uh, so well done. Um, the patient that they actually operated on was a 69-year-old. He uh, ha was having a single lung transplant uh, for end-stage uh, COPD. Um, and, uh, and it was quite fascinating their approach. They used about a four centimeter incision. They used one additional incision for the stapler and uh, and they used the robots to do the anastomoses. So uh, really good. Obviously you need to have that four centimeter incision just to get the, the lung in and out. So so very novel, very innovative. And, uh, and I think if any of you have, have done lung transplantation, obviously the enormity of the incisions, those giant clamshells, really are quite a lot to get over for the patients and it is a high risk probably the highest risk transplant that exists in terms of morbidity for the patients so so doing this um, is I think a fantastic uh, development so so take a, a look at that um, I'd love to actually see a video on this so come on guys send us a video to CTSnet I would love to see uh, a video of a lung transplantation uh, I thought that would be fascinating so but check that out in the Journal of Heart Lung Transplantation if you want to read more. 
The second uh, paper we've got for you uh, is a paper very close to my heart as I was involved in the writing of this. It's the European Guidelines for the Surgical Management of Pure Ground Glass Opacities and Part Solid Nodules. So this has been actually many, many years in the offing. Uh, I think we started talking about this in 2019 before COVID. We we're actually interested in doing a joint guidelines with the Asian societies uh, and then kind of COVID got in the way. So we decided to do a joint EACS and ESTS guideline. And really the reason for doing this is because uh, the management of GGOs is very controversial. Uh, over in Asia, huge numbers of pure GGOs do get removed. Uh, and over here in Europe, you know, I think we're a lot more conservative, really. So we really set out to, to look at the evidence behind uh, removal uh, of these. Um, the co-chairs, we were delighted to have Rene Pettersson and Giuseppe Cardillo as our co-chairs. And it was a really great group uh, of people who all worked together uh, to, to do this guideline. And a big thank you to Milan Milosevic, uh, who is our guideline expert with EACS, who guided us through the process as well. But what did we say? Um, well, we broke this into chapters. We had management of pure GGOs, management of part solid GGOs, management of multiple GGOs, and then how to find them, how to chop them out, uh, and uh, how much to chop out. So going through them one by one, pure GGOs, we basically said don't chop them out. They do often come out and end up being early cancers. Remember, a GGO is not a histological diagnosis. It's something on a, on a scan, and it's not until you get the histology back that, that you really know what it is. But, uh, but there's basically a zero incidence of pure GGOs going to lymph nodes, which to us, therefore, means you know they're pretty indolent, can be watched for many years, and only removed when they're more than three centimeters in size. If it's pure, uh, the general guidance is to to wait until there's a solid bit, and when there's a solid bit, treat just the solid bit. So if that's more than eight millimeters, yep, we're going to start trying to take them out. But if they're really tiny, again, they can be watched and do try and get histology. I was quite surprised by the high rate of success in getting histology in GGOs. It's about eighty percent. So don't be put off by the fact there isn't much solidity to it. It's, it's quite successful getting histology. Um, we are all seeing multiple ones as well. And, and the guidance here is uh, treat them all individually. Go and go for the nastiest one. Uh, and I guess if you're going in there to get one nasty one out, if you can get others out as well at the same time, that's great. Uh, there's a really nice chapter all about how to get the non-palpable lesions out, whether it by wires or ICG or technetium or a host of other uh, methods. And I thought that was a very useful chapter. This is one of the first guidelines that actually are now recommending positively minimally invasive surgery. So uh, based on studies like the Violet trial showing positive benefits for minimally invasive surgery. And also this guideline uh, recommends subloba resection based on CalG and Jacob trials. So it's a bang up to date uh, guideline. It's really good. And I think it's super helpful for us all because uh, we just want to know what the right thing to do is for these, uh, these nodules. Uh, great job, everybody. And you can find a link in the show notes below and it's being featured on the CTSNet website uh, right now. 
The third paper we've selected for you is, is one on congenital surgery and in particular this is answering the question of what are the outcomes of the treatment for infective endocarditis if you have a transcatheter pulmonary valve replacement. Um, so as you I'm sure know uh, this has become a lot more common. Uh, a transcatheter pulmonary valve replacement is a really really good uh, non-redo surgical technique. Um, it's, it's pretty common uh, in patients that have had congenital surgery when they were really young and then they've had a failing pulmonary valve and so you can now put these in. Um, but the question posed by uh, Chancellor Fox, uh, Peruz and, uh, and the team at uh, Washington University of Medicine in St. Louis was uh, how to treat them if they get endocarditis. Uh, this is in the World Journal for Paediatric and Congenital Surgery this week, and I thought it was really interesting. So they looked at a uh, really big database from 2010 to 2020. These are rare patients. Their average age was only 18, um, and, um, and they found around 60 or so patients that had this and had 98 hospital admissions. Um, it was quite interesting because mostly uh, they've managed to uh, be treated uh, with uh, medical treatment only. Uh, but if you have relapses, the more relapses you had, the more you, you needed to go on and have surgery. Uh, the surgery rates were 22% on that first admission. But then if you started having uh, repeat admissions, it was about 36%. Um, I guess one of the sort of sobering things was mortality was 4% um, and 8% in the surgical cohort. But I guess in that surgical cohort, um, you know, you've got more serious endocarditis, um, had renal failure, respiratory failure, went to ITU more. So, so they were the iller people, obviously, getting surgery. So the conclusion was that, um, that if you start getting uh, infective endocarditis of your pulmonary valves, um, you might get one readmission, you might get multiple. Um, surgery uh, might well be on the cards. They're kind of recommending being fairly liberal with the surgery, getting in there early. Um, but, but obviously about half of these patients did manage to avoid surgery. So interesting paper, uh, especially if you see these people. So those are our three papers uh, this week. And I'll hand over to the office to tell you what else you can find on the CTSNet website this week. Take advantage of the features on your profile page to tell the CTSNet community more about yourself. Head to ctsnet.org user to update your background, place of work, and contact information. When you're done, head to the profiles page to stay connected with colleagues and learn more about your fellow CTSNet members. We've got three really fascinating videos for you this week. Um, very varied and, uh, and a really nice variety uh, of uh, thoracic, cardiac and congenital. The first one uh, I thought was really amazing. It's a step-by-step -step guide through something quite rare, a redo ROS. And it's not just any ROS, a reinforced ROS uh, with uh, an annuloplasty band. So this is by Karim Bedir from the Cardiothoracic and Vastri Surgery Association of Alabama in the USA and uh, and this poor lady was a 37 year old woman uh, she'd had an aortic valve replacement for infective endocarditis when she was an IV drug abuser she had a biological valve at that stage because uh, the surgeons as a lot of us are 
you know, are worried about compliance with warfarin or Coumadin. Uh, and, uh, and so she had a biological valve at that stage, but she did great. She kicked the habit. Uh, she, she transformed her life, but came back with severe aortic stenosis. So still really, really young. And so the plan was to, to do a redo operation, which is beautifully shown in this video, very confidently done. Um, so, so I was really impressed with the redo reopening. And then in a redo setting, went for a ROS procedure, separating the aortic um, the aorta from the, the pulmonary artery, um, getting harvesting uh, of the pulmonary valve, which is really nice, inspecting the pulmonary valve, um, getting under it, uh, taking it out uh, of the right ventricle, being very careful of the septal perforators, uh, and then obviously preparing the aorta, taking the buttons. Uh, she'd previously uh, been felt to have a bicuspid valve, so the uh, the right coronary artery was slightly in an abnormal position, as was the left main stem. This is all shown really, really nicely in a stepwise fashion. And then I think the strongest part of this video is demonstrating the really meticulous implantation of the pulmonary valve uh, with a reinforced uh, annuloplasty band to stop late dilation uh, of this. Clearly done by absolute experts in the field. You know, it's a step-by-step -step guide, but, uh, you know, doing redo ROS procedures probably isn't everybody's uh, basic year one uh, technique. But if uh, you're experienced in, in ROS and maybe looking towards doing your first redo ROS or looking towards uh, doing it with a reinforcement, this is the video for you. Really, really interesting. Great job. Lovely video. Check it out now. The second video uh, is uh, a great one from Adam Hansen. Adam Hansen, the king of slipping rib and rib pain. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's in Bridgeport, West Virginia, USA. Uh, and he is a fantastic thoracic surgeon who is really specializing in the difficult to treat uh, anterior chest wall pain patients. I've been glued to a lot of his slipping rib videos and, uh, and do some of those operations myself for people with terrible anterior chest wall pain. And this is a fascinating new video on excision of fractured costal bridging cartilage. Now, I haven't actually uh, ever done this operation and, uh, and, and Adam uh, very, very clearly in this video highlights who these patients are. So between the fifth and sixth uh, anterior costal uh, bridging cartilages, um, which is just sort of under the nipple line, infrapectoral region, uh, between the fifth and sixth costal cartilages, he says that you can see people that get fractures of this and then they get, um, they get extra calcification there and then that starts banging and whacking against their nerves. And he shows a very simple procedure uh, in this video how to relieve their pain. And so I think this is really good, really interesting, and it certainly opened my eyes to uh, the possibility of people having pain in this area. And it's really great that we can actually do something about it. So helped me a lot. Uh, I'm going to start doing a lot more CT scans to try and see if I can see some of the calcium in this area. And then maybe we'll find a few people that we can help uh, with this probably more common condition than we think. So well done, Adam Hansen. Uh, he's got loads more videos on slipping rib on CTSnet. So yeah, check him out. And the third video we've got for you this week is called Pulmonary Artery Augmentation and Pulmonary Valve Replacement After an Arterial Switch Operation. Again, it's a redo operation in the paediatric uh, and congenital setting. Uh, and this was by Zin Man Fong uh, from Queen Mary's Hospital in Hong Kong. Um, Again, a really meticulous, uh, excellent uh, video. Um, this 
uh, is a video of a patient that had had an arterial switch previously uh, and then uh, in the follow-up period they were found to have right ventricular outflow tract obstruction and a really thin uh, pulmonary arteries which were beautifully shown in a 3D uh, reconstruction. Uh, the person uh, in the video is a 26-year-old woman. She'd previously had that switch uh, 20 years ago uh, when she was really young and um, and she'd uh, and she'd now presented. Uh, so the video shows uh, all the measurements. It shows them first of all identifying, doing a restenotomy, identifying the pulmonary valve, uh, replacing the pulmonary valve uh, with a magnet E size 25, which is really nice, and then enlarging the pulmonary artery uh, with a big arterioplasty and and a tissue patch. So really nice. Uh, they do groin cannulation. Uh, and I thought it was a really nice video. Well done to that team. So that's all our papers and videos for this week. There are, however, lots of exciting events coming along. It's uh, it's autumn conference time, so there's huge amounts going on before we all uh, change over to the, our Christmas um, world. So look out for these interesting events. There's a robotic revascularization training. This is in Leuven from October the 23rd to 24th. It's just coming up next week. Um, robotic mid-cab uh, course. That's pretty rare, isn't it? It's not every day you have one of those courses. So check that out uh, if you're interested in that. Um, the ERAS Cardiac Society is holding a webinar with CTSNet. We're delighted to be combining with them uh, to provide this for you. Um, so this is going to be hosted by Jeren van den Brander and Mark Gerditch. Uh, the really cool thing is it's free. So if you want to click on the show notes below, you can uh, register for it straight away. And equally, if you register for it and um, and you don't see it live, then one week after it's, it goes out, we're going to feature it on CTSnet. So you can watch it all back right here. So it should be really interesting. Um, it's all about um, better recovery after minimally invasive cardiac surgery. Lots of presentations, really interesting. And that's going to be on October the 26th or just watch it here a week later. And then the third um, event going on that we'd like to tell you about is the 7th EAX Mechanical Circulatory Support Summit. Uh, this is November 2nd to November the 4th. Uh, it's in Copenhagen um, and uh, this is an annual event. Uh, loads of live in a box cases, interactive lectures, keynote presentations, cardiologists, um, cardiac surgeons, ICU specialists. It's multidisciplinary. Um, it's, a, it's an EAX uh, sponsored event. Uh, if you want to click on the show notes below then you can register it's 375 euros for residents and 675 uh, if you're a non-member so that's uh, all the events you can see. Uh, it just remains for me to tell you where Diego, the world's most famous thoracic surgeon, is this week. And he's relatively close to his home. He's in Lisbon this week doing a wonderful two-day UVATS course. Uh, he runs these really regularly. There's cadaveric training. You can learn sleeve resections and all sorts of things. And he's just completed that in Lisbon. So welcome home, nearly, uh, Diego. Um, and uh, my final honourable mention 
goes to Professor John Chambers. So some of you may not have heard of him, but he's a professor of clinical cardiology at Guys and Tommies. Uh, and uh, he's actually the founder of the British Heart Valve Society, which is a wonderful charity that just had its annual meeting in London this week. Um, if you haven't come across this charity, um, it's a multidisciplinary charity. It's been going on for many, many years. It's got wonderful resources for patients. It's got really good resources for cardiologists and cardiac surgeons. Uh, and it's a really nice, friendly uh, group and, uh, and it really does champion the cause of people with heart valve disease. So check out their website uh, and thank you so much. Professor John Chambers, amazing person. Uh, he, he recently uh, was given the prestigious McKenzie Medal um, uh, for all his heart, all his hard work uh, in setting up this society uh, and running it for so many years. And that's all for the podcast this week. Uh, tune in next week and we'll have another roundup uh, of everything that's exciting and wonderful in the world of cardiopathic surgery. Thank you very much. Thank you.